Amen? Amen. Praise God. And so what I'm sharing with you tonight um, is not, I'm going to be unashamed. This, this is the passion of my life. I believe that God is really raising up uh, an end time army. He is, he is he's wanting every person to become a, not a spectator, but a participator. He wants a mass equipping of laborers. You know, Jesus looked at the harvest and he said to his disciples, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. Well, you know, Jesus himself had to spend three and a half years preparing 11 laborers. And then he gave them the Great Commission. So where is Jesus going to get the laborers from if we don't prepare ourselves for be used to be used by him? And there's many, many reasons why I'm so passionate about equipping and about being trained. But as I was coming back on the, on the plane from Mexico just a few days ago, um, I was seeking God about, you know, ministering and here at the rock and I and I I I just asked God give me a scripture just give me something that's fresh and new and um, he led me very clearly I very felt to first Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 and um, this is this is um, the apostle this is well it's not the apostle it's the apostle Paul writing to his spiritual son Timothy and he is giving him instructions about you know his life and about um, what he needs to teach God's people and I think these words are just as true today as they were back then. But he says these words. He says um, in verse number 7, 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says, Do not waste time. Everybody say, don't waste time. How much time do we waste in front of the TV and video games and all kinds of other things? He says, do not waste time. But this says, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly train yourself to be godly and then he says physical training is good and it's great to go to the gym and it's great to work out and it's great to get into shape but then he says but training for godliness is much better it promises or promising benefits in this life and in the life to come you got to realize you know we work a whole lifetime and we want to get a social security check or a pension or some type of reward but you know a billion years from now, you will be enjoying the rewards of whatever you accomplish on this planet. And so we need to get this thing into perspective because why work 90% of your time for a, just a vapor of, an, of, of, of benefit when if you train yourself in godliness, you have an eternity to enjoy the benefits of it. Amen? And so, you know... Um, I, I, I want to just share with you just some keys to get to there. That's my heart. That's my passion. I'm unashamedly going to, um, you know, just call for you or to challenge you to, to do something like the Rock Bible College or the ISOM or some form of program where you get trained in the Word of God. Because this is my very first point here is, number one, make Developing the Word of God central in your life. You've got to move the Word of God. Now, you know, you say, well, you know, I'm an engineer, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a this, or I'm, I, you know, I'm a housewife, or whatever it is. The Bible's very, very clear. It doesn't make a difference what you are. But every one of our lives must, must be built on the rock of God's Word. This church is called the rock, and Jesus, 
used that illustration and said, if you hear my words and you, you do them and you live them, you are like a person building your house on a rock. It's not just building a house on, you know, actual rock. It's building it on the rock of the word of God. The rock of the word of God will never, ever be moved. And if, if your life is, is, is centered and based on the word, it will, you know, it will, it will last, it will endure, it will survive every storm that comes our way. And believe you me, we know storms are coming. Amen? The, the, the children of Israel, and I'm just going to read you a few scriptures here. This was what God spoke to Israel. This is the, the children of Israel when they were before they went into the promised land. Um, God spoke these words to them. Um, I believe this is in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, this is, uh, God says these words. He says, Hear, O Israel. This is Deuteronomy, a chapter, is it 6, verse 5? It's 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, God's speaking to everybody, the, all, the whole nation of Israel. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hands. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And what God is saying, you need to make this word that I'm speaking to you, it needs to be the center of everything in your life. It needs to be front and center. And, and you know, that is something which sometimes, you know, most of us grow up in homes where that's not the case. Everything else is central, and it may be sports, or it may be whatever it is in, in your, your existence, but God's saying, bring the Word of God into the center, all right? When you talk about Jesus and His disciples, you have to understand that we're disciples of Christ. When the first disciples were on the planet, Jesus had 11 of them, and 12 of them, one of them, Judas, fell away, but 11 of them, they actually lived and breathed and, and touched and experienced the Word of God. Now you can say, well, it was Jesus. Jesus was the Word made flesh. And the actual, the, the, the apostle, um, you know, uh, John talks about this, but Jesus says these to, to, to his disciples. This is coming from Matthew 4. He says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Then immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, when Jesus calls any one of us, if you will commit yourself to follow him, he will make you whatever he wants to make you. Now, a fisher of men is an evangelist. The apostle Peter was one of the people Jesus said this to. Follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. And, and the actual Greek says, I will make you become. Now, it doesn't make a difference whatever God's going to use you. He may use you in business. He may use you in politics. He may use you in education. He may use you in any area. But he wants to make you become effective for him in whatever arena he places you amen and this is what it talks about the the disciples in john 1 1 this is an amazing scripture this is the apostle john writing many years later after jesus had raised from the dead he said that which was from the beginning who is jesus which we have heard which we've seen with our eyes which we've looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life 
they actually touched Jesus. They actually experienced him. They heard him. Whatever Jesus spoke was the word. It was the Father speaking through him, the Spirit of God. They experienced for three and a half years the transformative power of the word in the center, in the midst, in the heart of everything that they did. And out of it came the pillars of the church, was the building of the word of God will change any human life and make it successful. It will do incredible things. In the Old Testament, God, before they ever had a king in Israel, in the book of Deuteronomy, this is before they even got into the promised land, God spoke about what a king should be. Now, God's saying, if you want a king, and you want a king to be successful, then here's the guidelines to make a king successful. All right? This is what he wrote. This is in Deuteronomy 17. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him. He shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. God saying, you want to be a great king? You want to be effective and build, rule a kingdom? Get this word at the center. Make this word a part of you. Read in it. Look at it. Examine it. Study it. And and, and imbibe it and every single day of your life. Make it the center of your life. We read in Joshua when God's speaking to the, the, new, the general who's about to take the children of Israel. He's a military general. He's a, he's a guy who's a, an army guy. He's a strategist. He's somebody who goes into wage war. All right. And he's, you know, everything but a, he's not a priest. He's not a, somebody who's, you know, um, you know, worshiping God in the choir. All right. This guy's a military general. God says, you want to know how to be successful, Joshua? Let me give you the guidelines. He says this in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law will, shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night, you, that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God's saying you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, you want to be a king, you want to be a military agent, you want to be a, an educationist, you want to be, no matter what you want to do in your life, put the word of God at the center. Train yourself in godliness. Train yourself with the word of God. Let it become the center of your focus and your being and you'll, you'll succeed in no matter what endeavor that you're going to do in your life. So, that is just really the point of the word. Jesus was tempted in the by the devil in the wilderness. And the devil came to him and said, you'll make these stones, make them into bread because you're so hungry. And you know, you should just, 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 you've got the power as the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus answers a, a scripture from the Old Testament in Matthew 4, 4. It says, he answered and said to the devil, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let me tell you, church, that, that this is this coming year, and I really believe strongly that God is calling the church to just bring that word center to their life, to make the word of God the foundation of their future. Now, you can't change a single thing about where your past. Your past is whatever happened and some of you, you know, you, you, it's a miracle that you're alive and you're here today. And many of you can point to things that God delivered you from. You can't change anything from the past, but you have from this moment to the end. You have this season. You have this time. You have this opportunity. 
And my passion and my heart is that, hey, church, let's make this count. Let's, let's do the maximum damage to the enemy's kingdom. But let's make the word of God so central and so powerful that we learn to hear his voice. We learn that no matter what we are doing, that God will guide us. And whether we're in business, whether we're in, 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 in enterprise or whatever job it is that we do, God gets glorified. Because he's able to make you succeed and he's able to help you. Amen. So that's point number one, because we want to move from where we are into accomplishing and the purpose of heaven for our lives. And I've studied this in terms of just academically that, you know, we can't do anything about our past, our, our you know, where we came from, where we're born, language we spoke, country we grew up in. You know, all of us have different backgrounds. We can't change anything. It's called divine origins. It's where God had you grow up and land and, and be born and whatever. But there is something you can change. It's called spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is what you do. And that's why the scripture says in our first scripture, train yourself in godliness. It says train yourself. It's a decision that you make. It's something that you make a decision to do. That you're going to be trained in the word of God. That you're going to train yourself in godliness. And godliness is based on the scriptures and on the word of God. But I'm believing as well that God has tremendous destinies for us. And I believe that God uses different skills. He uses gifts and things that he gives us. And, and, and the Bible says your gift will make room for you. And if you're a medical doctor and you go to the mission field, let me tell you, you have a door that's open to you like nothing else. If you're a dentist, you have such an incredible door open to you. Because there's so many people that need help. And while you're peering down their throat and looking at their teeth, you know, you can preach the gospel to them. And they'll be so grateful that you're fixing their teeth, they'll probably give their lives to Jesus. But there's tremendous skills that God wants to give each one of us. All right. And one of my, you know, I just tell you this, this story quickly. If we have time here, I think we have a little bit of time. We just, um, you know, many years ago, I heard about a, um, a town in Canada. This was like back in the 50s. And this town, you know, um, it, was, it was quite a decent sized town, a few hundred thousand people. And, um, you know, in those days, um, you know, the electricity was not as, as current. We didn't have the big grid like we had. It was in a more remote area. And this town had an old generator. And so they, they did some research and they found a company here in California they purchased a brand new generator. I mean, it was a giant machine, like the size of almost the size of a room. And they bought this generator and, and, and this ran the, the electricity for the whole town. And then this machine worked beautifully for about, about three years. But one morning when the guy was who was just doing the maintenance on it and looking at, you know, checking it out, he suddenly, he heard it make a terrible sound and then it just seized and stopped, just dead. And all the electricity and the whole sound went out. And they didn't have a backup. So they, they tried. They brought in the electricians and they brought in the technicians. They brought in every person that they knew could possibly fix this generator. But there's nobody. They couldn't figure out anything that was wrong with it. And finally, they said, we can't go to, to nightfall and, and have, you know, the, the city be completely blacked out. And then people are going to steal in the streets and, you know, people are going to break into stores. And they really wanted to get this thing fixed by nightfall. So about maybe 11, 12 o'clock, they made a decision to contact the company in California. And they said, we're going to charter a plane and we're going to fly a person to, to Canada and we're going to fix this machine. And so they, they got this, this, uh, the top engineer in that firm and they flew the guy 
and he arrived like four o'clock at 4.30 in the afternoon. And he was, you know, he, he went into the room and, they, and all the guys who had been trying to fix this generator were just all just fascinated behind him to see what's this guy going to do that we couldn't do. And so he starts, he takes about 10 minutes and he goes from one side of the generator and he just looks through the whole machine. He gets to the other side of the generator. He turns around, he says, get me a large screwdriver. So they run and they get him this giant screwdriver. And he grabs the screwdriver instead of like, you know, screwing with it. He turns it the wrong way around, holds it by the metal. And then he walks up to that big machine and he steps back a moment and then he smashes the machine. He hits it with the back end of the screwdriver. The people are just like aghast. What are you doing? You're not destroying our machine. What are you doing? He turns around. He says, now just, uh, just go ahead and start it. The guy turns the key and the thing brings to life and the thing is completely working again. And they're like, they're just baffled and they're like, you know, so he flies back to California. They paid all the charter. They paid everything. And then the bill arrives from the, from the generator company in California. And it basically has only one line. It says, for fixing your generator, $5,010. These guys are just, they're just aghast. They're like, my goodness, he was here for 10 minutes. We paid all the flights. We did everything. He didn't do anything. Huh? He just hit our thing with a screwdriver. And now the $5,010. So they write an angry letter back to the company. And they said, we would like an itemized breakdown of this bill. So another two weeks go by and the itemized breakdown arrives. And it only has now two lines. First line says, for hitting your generator with a screwdriver, $10. Second line, $5,000 for knowing where to hit the generator with a screwdriver. Amen. Knowledge has value. Skill has value. And we do have an obligation to develop the skills that we, are, that we have. One of my favorite movies is The Pursuit of Happiness, and it's with Will Smith. Uh, it's actually a true story of a guy called Chris Gardner. And Chris Gardner, you know, is now worth $60 million, but, you know, Will Smith plays him. And Will Smith, in the beginning of the movie, he's just a, he's a, a medical um, device salesman. And he's in the streets of New York. He's living in the train station. He gets kicked out of his apartment. He's got his little boy with him, his little boy, Jaden. And, you know, he's just like living from hand to mouth and he can't even make ends meet. And he's, he's just frantically trying to sell these machines and he can't even make enough money to pay for his child and himself to eat and to even survive. And one day, the following scene happens. Let's just play. It's only about, uh, about 15 seconds, but let's watch it. Man, I got two questions for you. What do you do and how do you do it? I'm a stockbroker. Stockbroker. Oh. Hey, I'm going to let you hang on to my car for the weekend, but I need it back for Monday. Feed the meter. <laughs> he sees somebody who has got this incredible car. But it's the two questions he asks. What do you do? How do you do it? And that changes his life. He then subjects himself to the process of being trained to become a stockbroker. And now he's worth $60 million. 
He takes his family out of poverty. He develops a skill. And many times we just get put into a position where we just get into a rut, where we're just doing the same thing. And maybe sometime we need to just ask ourselves, God, who is it that, that, is, that is doing something that is successful and that, that I could do as well? And we need to say, what are you doing? How do you do it? And we need to begin to develop skills that have value. And I really believe it's a biblical principle. The Bible says your gift makes room for you. The gift that God gives you opens doors for you. And that gift will open resources. It will open influence. It will open, you know, every type of opportunity for your life. If you commit yourself to a process of training. I want to show this to you in scripture here. We see, you know, well, I'll just share my own story quickly. My, my father forbid me to go into the ministry. Now, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in South Africa. I left it because of apartheid. And I renounced any citizenship. I had U.S. citizenship from my mother. My mother's family were U.S. diplomats. And so I renounced my citizenship and I came to the U.S. And then I went to university in Michigan. That's where I met Lisa. And, you know, I finished my undergraduate degree. My father wanted me to be a doctor. And probably of all the professions and things that I could do in my entire life, probably the very last one was a minister. Like going into the ministry was not what my father had in mind for me. And so I finished my undergraduate and I said to my dad, Dad, I want, I want to go you know, to the mission field and I, I want to go to seminary. I want to go and study for the ministry. Now I had written my dad a letter a year earlier uh, and I told my dad that, you know, in a, in a moment where I was feeling just, you know, God, you can do anything. And, and I was, you know, just reading the word and God's word says, if you obey your mother and father and God will use them to bless your life. And I wrote to my dad and said, God's going to use you to direct my life and I will obey you until I get married. I just sort of in, a, in a, an inspirational moment wrote those words. My father looked at me and he said, well, your mother and I don't want you to go into the ministry. So I said, well, that's, I'm 22 years old. I, I think I have, you know, control of my life. And my father said, remember that letter that you wrote to me? I said, yeah, I remember that. My father said, I forbid you to go into the ministry. And he said, and if you obey me, he said, I will pay for you to do a master's degree in television and film, which was my undergraduate I said, Dad, where I want to go, they don't even have, you know, I wanted to go to the middle of Africa to go and preach the gospel. And I was like, I couldn't even understand television and film that that would be a profession. And I, I, I said, Dad, are you sure? And he's like, he says, I forbid you. So I went to bed that night. I said, God, I need an angel to come. I need a vision, a dream. I need you to speak to my dad. I know I'm called to the ministry. I know I'm called into full-time ministry. And now I'm going to do television and film. How is this possible? You can guide the heart of a, of a king. So no angel came. No, no, and my father says that he'll pay for this thing. So I then call my pastor. He says, oh, well, you know, there's a Christian university in Virginia Beach called Regent University. It was CBN back then. He said, they have a great program in television and film, and they have a lot of ministry down there. I went back to my dad, and fortunately, he you know, grew up in Africa, and he 
didn't know too much the difference between CBN and CBS, you know. So, you know, he said, is it a master's program? I said, yes. This is a legitimate one. I said, yes. He said, okay, I'll pay for it. So I went through two years of training in television. Amen. And you know, God greatly used that. Because that's the gift that opened the door for me to become the TV producer for one of the greatest evangelists in the world. Reinhard Bonker was his TV producer for three and a half years. He mentored my life. I saw millions of people get saved. And then from that, I came back to the U.S. And then, you know, after that, I helped this church start up its television program. I helped Bayless Conley's church start up its television program. And then I went to the mission field again. Two years later, I created the International School of Ministry. It all came from a gift that God gave me. And after I obeyed my father, he blessed me from that day forward. I went into the ministry and he was with me all the way until he died. And so let me tell you that it's okay to develop a skill. It's okay to develop a gift. And we'll look at this in scripture here. We see Esther. She's, she's getting herself ready for a beauty contest, all right? Which is basically a one chance to become the queen. All right, one night with the king, and that's all. But it says here in Esther 2, verse 12, it says, Each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months of preparation. Ladies, eat your heart out. 12 months of beauty treatment every day. I mean, imagine that, okay? It says, it says um, it, according to the regulations for the woman, for thus were the days of their preparation apportioned, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. They didn't have to lift a finger. They just had these beauty treatments all the time, day and night. But she had to have 12 months of preparation before she stepped into that role. And most of the time, God's going to take you through a season of training, a season of preparation before he uses you. We see Daniel here. This is the, the, the young kids that were, um, were, were captured by ki the king of Babylon. And it says that the king, in verse, this is uh, in Daniel chapter 1. And we pick it up in, uh, I guess, the second verse. Um, we pick it up in the third verse. It says, each young, no, it says, Then the king instructed Asvenpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now, these young people put the word of God first. You look at the consecration of the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three people. And it says there, as he came, in the, in, the, in the end of this thing, in verse 17 to 20, it says, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. You want to be 10 times better than any other person in whatever skill that you put your hand to. You get the word of God, the spiritual formation first. You get that anointing. You get that ability to hear from God. You get the wisdom from God, the creativity from God. You will be 10 times better than anybody else in your area. Amen? Give the Lord a hand on that. Amen? And so that's just really the second area is, is, to, is to subject yourself to the process of developing the skills in your life. 
So first one, put the word of God at the center. Number two, subject yourself to the process. Almost every single thing that's going to bring value in your life is going to, you have to subject yourself to a process of training and a process of developing a skill. But your skill will let you charge 5,000 instead of the 10. And that skill will open doors and that skill will develop in your life. And if you have the word of God at the center and you develop the skills that God gives you, you will flourish, you will prosper. And it doesn't make a difference how late you start. You can start when you're young or you can start when you're old. The guy who started Kentucky Fried Chicken, he was 66 when he started KFC. When he died, he had 11,000 restaurants in 80 countries. He died at 90 something. He only started when he got his first social security check and was only 105 bucks. He's like to his wife, we can't live in 105 bucks. He said to his wife, what are we going to do? She said, what are you going to do? She kicked him out the door. He took his, his, his bag of, you know, of crumbs and all those you know, herbs and spices and he went out and he started KFC. Whether you're young or old, you can still develop skills, gifts, and abilities. And you need to find them from God. And if you have the word of God at the center, God's going to give you wisdom. He'll give you quick understanding. And you will be like these, these men with Daniel. And so the last point is this. Is that as you put the word of God central, God will make you become something. He'll make you become something. Every one of us has a calling. And every one of us has a purpose and a destiny and something that God has for our future. There's not a single human being. And the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he prays a prayer for the entire church. This is for you, for myself, for every Christian. I try and pray this prayer every single day. All right? Because it is something where whatever God's called you to, you have to find it out. You've got to discover it. And you've got to find out what is that purpose that heaven put me on the planet for? Because nobody doesn't have a purpose. The Apostle Paul prays this prayer for the church and for every Christian. He prays that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. That they may know. Everybody say no. God wants you to know. All right. What is the hope of God's calling? The hope of his calling. And then he goes on. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? But there's a hope of God's calling. In God's heart, this God is hoping that you will become something. He is hoping that you will fulfill something. That you were placed on here, and if you don't fulfill it, it likely will not be fulfilled. Because you were uniquely created and crafted for a destiny and a purpose and a calling. Now, you know, we always think that there has to be some grandiose ministry or whatever. But what I'm challenging you tonight... Number one, put the word of God central. Number two, develop skills and gifts in your life. And number three, seek to understand your calling and make tangible steps towards it. Seek to understand your calling and make tangible steps towards it. The Chinese proverb says, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And on your journey to fulfilling your destiny, remember, God will waste nothing from your past. Whatever you've overcome, if you've overcome drugs, you can help other people overcome drugs. Whatever you've overcome in this world, you have an authority in because the anointing of God has helped you overcome it. He's given you an anointing to help somebody else overcome it. Amen? And that's in all areas of life. 
There are things that each one of us uniquely have overcome. And the person next to you, they may be some great, you know, whatever, but they don't have the wisdom that you have in that area. There's a, there's a family member that it, it, my, my mother remarried after my father passed away. And, and, and his daughter, I think it's his daughter or his granddaughter, they, they live in New Zealand. And she overcame bulimia. She had an eating disorder. And, 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 and God somehow helped her to overcome this. Well, instead of like, okay, I'm a survivor and just go on with her life, she started a website to help other people overcome bulimia. She has like this incredible, it's a subscription website. She makes a living off this thing. And every day she is speaking to the lives of people who are struggling with eating disorders and she is helping and she's helping thousands of people to overcome eating disorders because she overcame it. Amen? And so whatever you overcome is probably a key to something that you can do, that you're gifted to do, that you're graced to do, that you have the authority to do to help somebody else. Amen? Your test can become your testimony. And your trials can either destroy you or they can define you. You know, there was a lady who, who um, you know, she, she did, she's a housewife and she, she wanted to do something for God. She wanted to do something to touch the world. She wanted to do something for world missions. But she had a bunch of kids at home. She was a stay-at-home mom and she lived in this huge apartment complex. They didn't have much money. And she said, God, what can I do? And God said, well, what do you know how to do? She said, God, I, I'm, I'm good at doing laundry. I have a lot of kids. I've got to do their laundry all the time. She said, well, do laundry for world missions. So she began going to all the places in the apartment complex. And she said, you know, I'll do your laundry for free. She said, but all I'm asking is that you'll make a donation to, to world missions. And so she began taking in all the laundry of all the different people in her apartment complex. Do you know in about three years she saved and people were generous. They began giving. They knew it was going to a good course. They knew she was laboring. And they, she did a fantastic job with laundry. She saved over $40,000 for world missions. And God strategically used that gift of over 40000 to start an entire orphanage on the mission field. Amen? From laundry. I'm just saying I want to bring you guys down to earth. This doesn't have to be some grandiose thing. It can just be something very, very straightforward. And very doable. This the, a person we just, you guys, I think saw a few Sundays ago, um, Pastor Dan showed Bob Benedict as this guy that has been incredibly used and he learned the power of the tithe and, and he became a giver and, and, and now he's for 20 years has just been sowing into the kingdom of God. Well, you know, he's a businessman. So he began saying, God, what can I do as a business? God said, well, set aside a percentage of what the business earns. And use it to, to, to sow into world missions and to other things as well. But he actually let the different people in his business to bring causes and to, and they have this a certain amount of money and they all get together and they say, okay, we'd like to use it to, you know, help this work over here in this country. And we'd like to send some money to Salvation Army. We want to send this particular project. And this business became a ministry. Because they used their business and they took a percentage and they all cooperated together. And every Christmas they bring all the groups that they support and they have a Christmas dinner and they hear the testimonies of what God's done with their sowing into the ends of the earth. It can just be 3%. It can be 1%. But, it, but you have to take tangible steps towards it. So I want to close with Gladys Elwood. Gladys Elwood was a, what they call a domestic servant. She was a parlor maid in the United Kingdom, in England. 
She grew up in London, and she, you know, had a very meager job. She got paid what we call pittance in the European system in England. She got paid a very small salary. But this parlor maid really became gripped that she wanted to be a missionary in China. Now, she grew up in the early 1900s, like 1915, 1917, that, that time frame when she was a teenager. She was born in 1902. And, you know, through the wars and everything else like that, and she, she made a decision, I'm going to become a missionary to China. So she applied to the famous missionary group called China Inland Mission. She applied as a missionary. She went through the whole process and everything else, and after she'd got done their, their, their program, they said, you are not missionary material. You just are not good enough. You're not going to make it. And so we are not accepting you as a missionary. And so she was heartbroken. Here she was working this little tiny job. And she was just, you know, trying to say, God, I want to be used. I want to do something. And God gave her the idea. So go to the mission field anyway. She met another missionary called Jeannie Lawson. She knew where this lady was working in China. And so this, this, this little woman, they call her the little woman of China, Gladys Aylward, she went to the train station, and the train master, and she said, I want to find out how much does a ticket cost to China? Well, it was a huge amount of money back in those days. I mean, a trip all across Asia, all across, you know, the channel, and then all the way over to, to China it was a huge journey, weeks and weeks of travel. So the person said, it's whatever number of pounds and so she reached into her pocket. She took out her little handkerchief, whatever she had, the small amount, a few coins that she had. She said, I'm just putting down a deposit. She put down a few coins. The, the ticket master said, that's, that's not enough to pay for this ticket. He said, she said, well, that's my first deposit. Every week I'm going to bring you a little bit more. He said, well, why don't you save it up and then bring the whole amount? She said, no, I'll spend it. She said, no, I'm going to go back. And so he took the money and he put it into a little savings thing. And then next week she dropped a little bit more. And she dropped a little more the next week. And the following week when she got paid, she took a little bit more. She just gave a few more pennies and a few more pennies and a few more pennies. Well, he was so touched by her. I think we have an actual graphic. He actually took a map in the train station. I think it's the next one here. And she took this, this she, he took the, a map of the whole journey. You can see the top there where the train line goes. And he, he put this entire map up on the, on, the back, on the back wall of his train station. And he put a line from the United Kingdom, from London, and he put a line all the way to where she wanted to go in China. And he took a pin. And every week when she came in to pay a little bit more, he moved the pin a little bit further. A little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. It took her, I think, about three years. And she paid the final payment. She got the ticket. And she went to China. She became one of the greatest missionaries that's ever, ever worked in China. Gladys Aylward, the little woman of China, a beautiful movie called The Inn of Sixth Happiness with Ingmar Bergman, was, was made about her story. And... What I'm trying to tell you, church, you have to set a goal and take a step towards it. You cannot just expect it to all land on your lap. It's going to be a brick-by-brick brick process. 
It may be just doing laundry. It may be something that just seems so menial, so insignificant. But if it's from God, and if God graces you, and he gifts you to do it, whatever he's gifted you, he can move you from where you are to a calling and a destiny. There's a hope in God's heart for your future, a hope in God's heart for your, your calling and your purpose. And God can help you get there. So number one, I'm, I'm challenging you to, to consider the Rock Bible College or the ISOM or some program where you can train yourself in godliness. Put the Word of God central in your life. That's the most important first step. And that may be the step that you have to start taking now. Secondly, to subject yourself to the process of developing skills in your life. And even the, pro the process of going to a Rock Bible College or a program where you're learning the Word of God, that's a subjection of a process. And finally, seek to understand your calling and make tangible steps. As small as they may seem, take steps towards it. You'll be amazed what God will do in Jesus' name. If God spoke to you tonight, give the Lord a hand. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.